Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Talkin' Fox, the show where we talk about Wes Anderson's Fantastic Mr. Fox, one minute at a time, also known as Fantastic Minute. I'm Tyler Boudreau. And I'm Condra Boudreau. We're here to talk about Minute 64, which begins with Bean lying and ends with utter chaos occurring in the town of Great Harrowsford, something like that. Anyway, Condra, we've got a guest today. Huzzah! From, uh, <laughs> from the Random Audio Network, uh, where he does the podcasts Mainstreaming and Listicles, we have Dustin Thornton. Dustin, thanks for coming. Hello there, everyone. How are y'all today? Great. Oh, we're we're just great. <laughs> great, great. How are you? I'm excellent, excellent. I'm ready to talk about this movie. I'm excited. I really love Wes Anderson. I'm a huge fan. I, I even have my ranking of all his movies, in case you were going to ask <laughs> me, because I love him so much. Uh, shoot, yeah. Go for it. Tell us. Oh, right now? Oh, okay, right now. sure. I mean, no, no time problem. like the present. Yeah, we'll talk about the your your history with Fantastic Mr. Fox, and if that like falls into where it falls in your rankings, then I think that's the appropriate time. Well, I'd like to say it's at the top, but it's not. It's kind of in the middle. I love Royal Tannenbaums. It's absolutely my favorite. It's probably one of my favorite movies of all time. And then Rushmore, Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Hotel, Life Aquatic. I know a lot of people don't like that movie, but there's just something about Bill Murray's performance in that that just gets me every time. Uh, and all the great side characters, too. Then Fantastic Mr. Fox. Isle of Dogs, which I really loved. Maybe if I watch it a few more times, it might move up the list, but I just don't like it better than Fantastic Mr. Fox. There's there's a lot of heart in Fantastic Mr. Fox that's not in Isle of Dogs. Totally. And then Bottle Rocket, and then Jar- Darjeeling Limited. And to say that, you know, this ranking, I love all these movies. They're all great movies. I've never got tired of his style. You know, every time he makes a new movie, everybody goes, oh, Wes Anderson made another Wes Anderson movie. Well, yeah, of course he did. That's what he does. And they're all very interesting and different, even though he does have a very unique, distinct style. Probably the most distinct style of any director making movies right now. Yeah, totally. I, I, I like the ranking. I was surprised. Yeah, I guess the, the, the surprise would be Steve Zizou above Fantastic Mr. Fox in terms of, like, quote-unquote objective quality. I think most people kind of have that, well, that would have that, a reverse there. But, yeah, I, that's why I brought up the performances with that, because that's really what sells the movie. Between Bill Murray and uh, William Defoe, it's it, they just kill it in that movie. And, and not to mention Jeff Goldblum. It's like Jeff Goldblum started in that movie doing a performance that he's been doing since then with slight variation uh, to great acclaim. I mean, the character in Thor Ragnarok is basically the same character as Steve Zizou. Uh, it's just a slightly different tweak on that guy. And I, I love it. It gets me every time. Oh yeah, totally. I think it's much. I think it's definitely a much better movie than most people give it credit for. Yeah, well, it's you know it came after two great Wes Anderson movies, and people just kind of were like, "Oh, I want more of this," and it's totally different, totally weird, and it just didn't didn't hit a lot of people right. It, it has kind of rose in acclaim, but it's definitely the most divisive Wes Anderson movie. It's the one that some people have very high, and other people have very low. So yeah, what are your overall? opinions or history with fantastic mr fox specifically well i saw it in the theater i was really i was already like on the wes anderson bandwagon i actually was on the bandwagon for a long time because i saw bottle rocket somebody gave me a an actual videotape i know y'all are young y'all may not know what this is but like there's video cassettes (laughs) i know i'm just kidding around uh there but somebody gave me a vhs tape where they had recorded it off cinemax or something and it 
just blew my mind. I was like, this is such a cheap, low-budget movie, but it is amazing. The way it looks is amazing. And the fact that he got these performances out of guys that I'd never even heard of, you know, the only person in it that I even heard of is James Caan. It's like, so it's definitely, uh, definitely got me on the bandwagon then. So by the time Fantastic Mr. Fox came out, I was all aboard. I saw it in theater. I believe I had to drive to Birmingham to see it. I couldn't even see it in my local theaters. You know, I had to drive to the biggest city in Alabama to see it. And so... I've always loved it. Uh, I was married for a while, and she had two daughters. I introduced them to this movie. They loved it. It was one of their favorite movies for a long time. I probably watched it ten times in a couple of months with them. Just they just they just love it because even though it's an adult movie with very adult themes, you could show this movie to any kid of any age. There's nothing in this movie that a kid can't grasp onto. It's there's things they may not understand. They may not get the depth of the subtext, but it's a movie that's just fun for anybody to watch. Uh, so I really, really enjoy it. I really wish I would have got to watch it again for this. I just did not have the time. I kept saying to myself, oh, I got to find the time, got to find the time. But between everything else I'm doing, I just couldn't rewatch it. So I literally just watched as much of it as I could, like around this minute, you know, watch several minutes before and several minutes after before we started recording. Because I was like, I got to know where, where am I at in this movie? It's been a little bit of time. So like in actual minute, I love how they keep saying cuss. <laughs> is that a thing that like did that get you the first time you heard that it cracks me up every time but the first time that I heard them say that it just I think I laughed out loud in the theater like <laughs> people are probably turned around looking at me like what that's not that funny well Condra there's a there's a there's a cuss in this minute so uh Condra tell them tell them what we have um so we uh, have been tracking the number of cusses in this movie since the very beginning and this is cuss oh, number 29 nice. for us um and to answer 29. your question oh wow yeah um there were a lot more in the beginning um they were just like one after another we had like one every minute for a few weeks and then they've kind of died out we've actually this has been two weeks in a row again because of um the graffiti cuss that you can kind of see in the background of this minute too but then the verbal cuss makes it number 29 um no and in terms of the cuss i think it took me a little longer to realize what they were doing but once I realized it, it became one of my favorite gags of this movie. I'm absolutely obsessed with the like the concept of cussing in this movie. I think it's so well executed, and it's just a really fun idea. Well, yeah, once you realize that it's not just the, like a silly coll- colloquialism, but it's like a weird like in-universe thing where instead of swearing, they say cuss. That that that's just what makes it so funny. It'd be one thing if it was they if they were saying if, if it was implied that they have these euphemistic phrases because they're being polite because children are around. But the fact, the idea that in universe that that's, that's how they swear. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's just one of the funniest things. Well, and you could tell from the inflection and context that it's not the same word every time mm-hmm. that it, that they really <laughs> are saying the same, cur- like we can fill them in, in our mind, what they're really saying. We know what word it is that they're trying to say, even though they say, I love the big cuss fight around the desk. Back and forth. It's great. Yeah. So, yeah. So just, to kind of go through this minute, I guess we have we begin with Bean says, "Of course we did," and he, of course, they're talking about them having brought Christopherson supposedly, and they click the little uh, tape recorder, and they have a recording of Christopherson saying, "Excuse me, excuse me," and uh, Fox's reaction to it is great. He says, "Like what? That sounds nothing, nothing like him. It's Amateur Night and Dixie." Uh, <laughs> Reactions to that phrase, guys? I meant to look it up because I've never heard that phrase before. 
And I didn't know if it was a well, thing. Well, I have. Uh, being from the heart of Dixie, I've heard that plenty of times. Uh, I am I'm actually from Alabama. And it when I was a kid, it said on our license plates, the heart of Dixie. So, yeah, I've heard that heard that place plenty of times. So I've heard the phrase. So, yeah. I don't know Dix- what it means, though. Yeah, I've heard the phrase like heart of Dixie, but the amateur night in Dixie. I'm like, does that refer to something very specific? Probably just like you know country bumpkins kind of you know it's not only is it amateur night but it's amateur night in dixie like it's the you know the amateur night of the real uh real hillbilly okay it's definitely a turn of phrase that fox would say it's yeah i, I don't know if it's popped up in any other wes anderson movie but i feel like it's it's a phrase he had in his mind like uh, this is something one of my characters would say when can i get one of them to say it <laughs> I, I googled the phrase amateur night in Dixie and uh, you get there's obviously it like pulls up this YouTube clip from this movie and like a couple like dictionary entries like this is what it means. But I also found a uh, 1979 TV movie written and directed by Joel Schumacher of a uh, bad what? Batman movie fame Amazing. <laughs> uh, called amateur night at the Dixie bar and grill. So. Hmm. They they made a movie out of this phrase. I don't I don't know what came first. I'm assuming the phrase existed and then they kind of made a movie around it. The, the yeah, movie's it, not very highly rated on IMDb, but I can I can imagine how you would go with that idea of like a bunch of people that are bad performers trying to like make something happen. It sounds like it could be a funny premise. Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of the opposite of like, if you said amateur night in New York City, you might be implying that the people would be very high quality, even though that's amateur night, because there's lots of people there that are performers and actors that may try something like that. But amateur night at Dixie, to me, just conjures the idea of, no, the the people that don't have any talent at all, like that, there's a reason they're here, it's still a Dixie, uh, and it's amateur night, so... Yeah, I, I do like uh, the movie having, all, it has so many like just little beautiful phrases in it. And I've never read the Roald Dahl book, so I don't know if a lot of that comes from the book or script, from the not from the book. Uh, not a lot of it. There are definitely some things that come from the book. I feel like the matter of fact tone mm-hmm. comes from the book, but it's also something Wes Anderson does a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, so yeah, it, it kind of fit, it. It fits well, but I don't know if it comes from one or the other no i don't think rule doll would have known about that phrase either just like he was kind of a posh british man um so that concept i don't think would have necessarily been in his repertoire but the idea that like rule doll characters kind of talk in a very sophisticated way and i guess the the thing people always say about rule doll is that like he doesn't talk down to kids he kind of he he hits them at face level what's what's happening in the books is often very silly and childish but the the way it's presented is very normal and obviously that's another th- great thing about this film is that it's an adult movie and a kids movie in the way that as you said earlier it you can show it to kids it, it they may not understand the depth but they understand what's going on well wes anderson seems to do that in all of his scripts really he tries to make the characters sound more verbose than they really are like they they use words that you look at this character you go where did you learn this from (laughs) it kind of reminds me of raising arizona the way that nicholas cage's character talks like the coen brothers gave him this very wordy vocabulary but if you listen to the words that he says they're all the kind of things that you would read like in reader's digest or something they're not they're not that He's not saying anything with the words. He's just using a lot of big words. And it seems like Wes Anderson characters tend to do that. They say a lot of things that you are that you think, was that really the easiest way to say that? 
<laughs> yeah, I just rewatched uh, Moonrise Kingdom the other day, and it's very <laughs> apparent in that one because they're kids talking. Yeah, exactly. And, and the, but it fits in with the characters because the kids in that movie are kind of misfits. One of them's like a an outcast. One of them's like a big reader. So you it would it makes sense that they have these weird uh, vocal affectations and stuff. Not to go off on a tangent, but that movie is one that has really risen. Like the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. It's cute. I like the kids. But every time I watch it, I think it goes up one in my rankings. If I keep watching it, it'll probably be my favorite Wes Anderson movie eventually. I think I like the first half of it. And then the second half, as it keeps going, kind of is like, oh, yeah, this is a this is still happening. But I mean, the, <laughs> the, the beginning and like the first act of the movie are where it's at for me. Yeah, it definitely has some interesting things in it. Uh, some horrible dog violence. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, back to this movie, Fantastic Mr. Fox. So yeah, we, we covered Amateur Night and Dixie. And then, so it's clear that they didn't. the farmers didn't bring Christopherson. And so we know it's a setup. Okay, so Fox puts out his hand. He gets a pine cone and Badger lights it on fire. And he throws it and it lands in a trash bin. And a guy walks out of the bar and pours the beer on it, and it goes out. Feel free to jump in anytime, guys. Uh, well, I love how there's lots of little beers right there. And another detail that I noticed, and y'all probably talked about this a lot, how amazing the stop motion is in this movie. When he's when he's holding the pine cone and lighting it, he, uh, uh, God, what's the other character's name? Badger. I can't even think of it it's now. That's Badger. Blown, Badger, Badger that's blowing on it. When Badger blows on it, the little hairs on the bottom of Fox's hand blow in the in that wind i mean just it's yeah. just subtle it's barely there you wouldn't even really notice that it wasn't there if it if they didn't think to do that but it's so effective when you when you, all the little things that happen in this movie are so effective without you realizing it your subconscious brain just picks up on it and it makes it, this really feels like a real world like these feel like real things and i've watched a little bit of behind the scenes and i know they made all these clothes like basically everything in this movie is real it was all made uh, it's not just, you know, they they didn't even use CGI to clean this up, it seems like. They just literally did it the right way the first time. And the little details like that, the pine cones, the way that they smoke and when they hit something, the way the fire erupts, it's it's beautiful. There's so much artistry in this movie. Yeah, the amount of planning they did for this scene. Um, so I have a book called The Making of Fantastic Mr. Fox that kind of goes into some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. And they tested different types of like fire lighting techniques and how to make it look as real as possible and like the type of cotton they used what kind of plastic they used for the flames it was just it was so meticulously thought out that it really does show in those little moments because it does look real which is just amazing for those animators um to create something so admirable and so amazing that they've really done something incredible here and it, it's funny that you were mentioning like the hairs and like the smoke and stuff just because it does they've got some funny like stills of the town when it's like on fire but Bill Murray's head I don't know if you've ever seen this picture it's of Bill Murray's head lying on the street with what looks like one of like the little signs on fire and it's this funny thing because it's so <laughs> planned but then Bill Murray's face is just like in the shot and it's <laughs> it took them so so long to do th do that scene in particular um this whole well this whole battle sequence i guess because of all the fire and the running bodies and just thinking about this as a stop motion it is like light years away from early stop motion techniques 
Yeah, there's so much movement happening in this image. There's there's a lot of depth of field. There's alleyways where you can see very clear. The characters are running up the alleyways as the pine cones fly through the air. There's the part where they're on the roof and there's several guys. And there's just like all kinds of tiny little things in the scenes. And a lot of times they're moving too. You know, it's fire hoses and it's just, it's crazy how much detail they put into. I mean, this one minute, we're talking about one minute, probably took them months to make this minute. Absolutely. Oh yeah, I really like the the pan shot. Uh, not that it's not a reference to the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, uh, but the pan <laughs> shot of when, <laughs> sorry, when they are when they have started throwing the fi- the pine the pi- uh, pine cones. What, pine cones. Is that the right word? <laughs> pine cones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they started throwing the pine cones, and we've gotten kind of a couple individual shots, and then all of a sudden it starts panning to the left, and you're like. Oh, like, whoa, what's this is even cooler than it was before, because not only are they animating this, but they have to move the camera too. I, I don't know. It just blows my mind. There's some very interesting things that they do with these pine cones too, like the way that they fly through the air. It's like, how, how do they, are they using CGI to like erase some kind of little pole? Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I know they didn't do that way back in the old days. So I'm assuming they probably did that now. It just would make it easier. They did. Um, they did. Yeah, okay. they definitely have riggings. I mean, you can kind of see the fishing wire on for some of them, but um, some of the rigging they use would have to be removed digitally afterwards. I was curious about that because I know, yeah, obviously they didn't do that, you know, 50 years ago when stop motion had its big heyday. Mm-hmm. But but most of those things were, you know, smaller little sets. It was one scene. You know, you might get 30 seconds of stop motion and that was it. And then, you know, maybe 30 seconds a couple of minutes later. It wasn't like they were trying to rely on it heavily. Uh, unless you like watch old like Rudolph and stuff like that, which to me is that just watch this movie and then watch that makes you sad. It's like, oh, if they could just go back and make this movie with this kind of stop motion. I mean, I'm always sad to watch Rudolph. I don't really like that movie. <laughs> no, me neither. Me neither. Um, but yeah, I remember the first couple times I saw this movie and just like being so obsessed with the fire effects mm-hmm. because it's so cool with the, the cotton as the smoke. And it's it's literally one of the most amazing things. I guess I'm so used to it now, but... Oh yeah, I, Isle of Dogs stepped that up big time. The cotton smoke effects in Isle of Dogs are mind blowing. Like the amount of detail that they were able to put into that, and to know that that's all it is—it's just cotton. It's like crazy. Yeah, I, oh, I wanted to go back to uh, Bill Murray blowing on the pine cone because I because you hear you hear the the effect of like the sound of him blowing, and you can kind of hear that that's Bill Murray's voice doing the blowing do, do you guys agree with that i didn't really notice but I, I i could see that like everybody has their own like little timber even in their breaths so it makes sense but but like i'm at, i'm just imagining in him in the recording booth all right they're like all right bill pretend you're blowing on a pine cone to make it light on fire and he's <laughs> like i, I imagine him doing it like 10 times be like does that sound right like no try it again but like this I'm assuming that Bill Murray does his things kind of like, uh, what's that? There's a cartoon where some character comes in and is like, let me show you how this is done. Oh, it's the Simpsons. Krusty's like, this is how you do your lines. And he just goes, blah, 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 blah. Do you get him? Okay, bye. And he leaves. I'm kind of assuming that's how <laughs> Bill Murray does everything. They had to call him back on the phone and be like, Bill, can you just blow into the phone a few times? We'll fix it in post. <laughs> Um, speaking of effects, too, um, when the pinecone hits the postcard stand and all of the postcards start like crumbling into ash, even that detail like yeah, really cool. like took me away. And I was also very distraught that they burned the bread. Bread deserves better than this. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd noticed a sign too, and it caught my eye. I was like, okay, it's right at the very end of the minute. There's a Detroit detective agency. Mm-hmm. And I, as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay, this means something. It's a French word. Let's let's look this up. And apparently it's from a Truffaut movie. Uh, it's Stolen Kisses, I think is what it was, which I've never seen. But I just, I knew, as when I saw French, I was like, okay, this has to be something. <laughs> no, I didn't even look that up. You, you, you got a good one yeah. on us. Yeah. Uh, movie by minute podcast that's what yeah. we do yeah it's bare i mean it's the very like the very last frame is the sign of the detective agency and i i wasn't even sure that i was reading it right but i just went ahead and put in what i saw and that's what came up it's actually reference to uh which is probably the reason the characters in the Truffaut. it's a reference to a singer in particular like he was the neil diamond of france that's what the article that i read said hmm. Okay, so I want to move on unless you guys have uh, anything else to say about the visuals, but I think we should move to the music. Um, we okay. did get a cup. So to clarify from last week in our discussion where we were like, is Nags Head the pub? It's not the pub because we saw the pub unless there's two pubs in town, which is also possible for a bath-like town. I think Nags Head is the no. pub. Yeah, a town like that's not going to have more than one pub probably. How about they're in England though? <laughs> Oh, yeah, even in England, like that's you know, it's like oh, we got one pub in this town. That's <laughs> well, no, Ty Nags Head wasn't because the way the door was arranged, Nags Heads. Okay, yeah, just just to clarify that I from last you. week. Yeah. Okay. okay, so we got the music. It's the it's the kind of children's choir singing Bogus Bunsen Bean. But in the beginning, when it's the tension, they're kind of whispering, and oh, I love that. And then when they start throwing the pine cones, it kicks in at like the perfect time. I don't know what to say about this other than it's really cool and i love the music <laughs> i could not identify yeah. the children's choir at all which was a little frustrating um Al- everything is just under Deplas name so shout out to the kids that sang the song you are un- unidentified in record but will always be remembered in this film per children's what? choirs that always happens to them yeah. wait what children's choirs die no you're never there's lots of children's choirs that have been used in very popular songs over the years and they get no credit because they kind of just recorded them on the fly like oh hey can we record these kids you'd have them do this and so they don't get any real credit like studio musicians would uh there's a particular song that the kids just recently got credit for i think it's it's either a Beatles song or a pink floyd song there's uh, no, there's no, be- there's no Beatles songs with the children's choir, but another okay. Brick in the Wall Part Two mm-hmm. has it. I don't yeah, know. that's the one. Then probably uh, I just couldn't remember. I knew it was a very famous song, and yeah, they just finally got credit for being, and they didn't get any money or anything, but they finally got credit for being the children's choir that's actually in it. Cool. I I kind of have a vendetta against rock and roll songs with children's <laughs> choirs because you got another Brick in the Wall Part Two, uh, Aeroplane by Red Hot Chili Peppers, mm-hmm. Mother Don't Want to Go to School Today by extreme all of these i'm like ah you just uh, it bothers me that they just kind of they put in the children's choir as like a gag i hate it even it was what's the rolling stones one uh can't always get what you Mm -hmm. want that's in the beginning of it yeah yeah so that one's kind of that one gets off better because it's like the gag at the beginning of it and then they go into the song that one's okay i would even call that a gag it's like a really good setup for that song oh yeah no totally yeah but i get what you mean about the others there's no real reason for it it irks me. <laughs> but so who does the, who did the soundtrack for this? Who is the actual composer? Uh, Alexander Desplat. Desplat. Did he do anything else that we would recognize? Oh yeah. No, he's like, um, he's one of the yeah. top Academy Award winning composers okay, okay. Of, of this time. He has a. Yeah. He does Shape of Water. He and, did Pan's oh. Labyrinth, I think. 
nice. I might a hundred percent be wrong there. I'm looking it up. I mean, we've we've looked it up before, but he yeah he's he's constantly working with Wes Anderson and kind of the Guillermo del Toro. It sounds del like Tor, yeah. He does. I think he did like the King's Speech. Like he'll he'll do like the the Oscar bait like mid budget movies. He did, yeah, he did King's as Speech a, as opposed to your Zimmers and your Jacinos who do like the big budget action movies. Mm-hmm. Pla does like the the mid level dramas. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Giacchino has basically become John Williams, too, version two. Yeah, I love Giacchino so yeah, much. Yeah, me too. His, like, Incredibles is, like, so good. He won Academy Awards Star Trek for score. Grand Budapest Hotel and Shape of Water. Um, he's also nice. done, he did Harry Potter, Deathly Hallows, King's Speech, Moonrise Kingdom, Argo, Zero Dark Thirty, Godzilla, um, Golden Compass, Twilight Saga, New Moon. I'm sure that's wow. This is not a lot of real quality is, stuff there. Isle of Dogs. This, of, yeah, this is not the first time we've discussed uh, De Pla, but yeah, it's good to get it on the record that like he he really helps this movie oh a lot. God. And mm-hmm. knowing how to do music, like not just to write the music, but how to, especially including the the choir voices here, how to fit the tone with something as silly as the kids singing Bogus Bunsen Bean, but making it like. That that tension building stuff from the beginning, and then making it as fun as it in as it is in the second half of this minute, where things are burning and it's utter chaos. But you're you're like ah, oh, but the kids are singing; it's super fun. Like it's so joyous, and the the knowledge that Depla brings to this, the expertise that fits so well with the Wes Anderson sense of humor and the tension, uh, it's just perfect. I think also his adopting of Roald Dahl's lyrics. So the the little rhyme that the kids are singing is original to the book. So I think adopting it in a way that's really effective and very versatile because it comes up throughout the movie in different ways and with different weights to it. And I think just like that versatility is really impactful to the film. All right, Dustin, I think we're going to wrap it up. Any any last things to say about the minute or the movie? And then we'll we'll go into goodbyes and where they can find you it's cussing great that's all i can say i love it <laughs> okay it, i might even say it's swearing great wow. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> um so yeah dustin uh thanks so much for coming on but uh where can people find you on the internet uh i'm part of the random audio network you can go to randomaudionetwork.com you can listen to our show's mainstreaming where we talk about stuff that's streaming it's real simple and listicles also simple we make lists about different things we just rank whatever and you can listen to that or and get on the internet and argue with us there's nothing better than arguing about list we all love that uh, there's nothing better and there's also nothing worse <laughs> yeah exactly Condra, do you have anything else to say? Um, people can find us on the Twitter at Amateur Nerds, or they can find you, Tyler, on the Twitter at Tyler Booty. That's at T Y L E R B O U D Y. They can also email us with thoughts, comments, questions about thoughts about future minutes at Amateur Nerds Present at gmail.com. And yeah, you can join us next time for minute 65. Uh, this has been minute 64. Uh, will you still need us? Will you still feed us? Et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> uh, we got more guests coming up on the docket. Dustin was great. Thank you so very much, Dustin, for being with us oh, yeah. today. It was a pleasure. We- yeah. We're the amateur nerds. We're the amateur nerds in Dixie. Not <laughs> and we hope you join us next time for another episode. Of- All right, wh- what do I say at the end? Hope you have a <laughs> we fantastic hope you join us next time. Uh, I've been Tyler. I've Boudreaux. been Condra. Oh, and I've been Dustin Thornton. 
And we hope you have a fantastic, fantastic. day. Fantastic. Fantastic.